This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Gaze, where we gaze into the world of consumer electronics, gadgets and technology. I'm Michael and in the studio with me today is Nicole. Hello. How are you? Oh yeah, good. Despite the weather, it's not too bad. It's a bit of a grey, dull day, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's okay. We're in here. we're inside, so that's fine. That is good. And we also have Donna. Hello. How are you? We I'm missed you, Donna, last well. week. I wasn't here last week. But I, you know, you say, you know, it's dull and grey, but I love this kind of weather. I think this is like Melbourne's time to shine as like, you know, there's cold and rainy and we have hot drinks inside. Okay, I'll stop now. Everyone's looking at me like I'm crazy. It is a nice day to be in bed underneath a very warm blanket. Yes. Or in a radio studio talking to our wonderful people about wonderful technology. Yes, on an Anzac day as well. So, we've got a busy show today because um, we're going to be starting off by looking at something that's been called Google's Mobile Geddon. Mobile Geddon. Mm, Play on words there. Oh, God. Who thinks up of these names? Really? (laughs) Someone with not very much imagination. Yeah, perhaps too much time on the hand. <laughs> Don't know. And uh, we're also going to be looking at the latest iOS security vulnerability that can uh, crash your phone. Mm-hmm. Um, we um, have a special guest in the studio a little bit later on, uh, Rune, who is part of uh, National Youth Week. She's here and she's going to talk to us about National Youth Week and about her interests in robotics and nanotechnology. Yay. We were talking about that last week. Yes, indeed. And uh, looking forward to having that chat. We're also going to be looking at uh, Twitter's latest response to online bullying and how it came a little bit too late for UK LGBTIQ notable Jack Munro. Jason will be joining us on the telephone to look at the latest phones from Samsung as well as other Google-related stories. Very good, very good. Busy, busy day. So don't forget, you can contact us on 1300 JOIN 949 and leave a message or you can uh, text us 0427 JOIN 949. Or on air at joy.org.au. Or catch us on the Twitters at Technogaze. T-C-H-N-O-G-A-Z-E. We've had uh, a mini mini Facebook Facebook flurry. (laughs) We have. Haven't we, Nicole? Had a few um, likes over over this week. Um, So we'd like to say hello to Renz, Victoria, Paul and Richard. Hello. Welcome. Welcome Welcome indeed. Yes. Let's kick off with um, having a look at this new iOS zero-day vulnerability. This is a bit scary. 
Yeah, or, don't I don't know if it's so much scary or is potentially very annoying. I think more <laughs> annoying because I don't, I don't think it can do any damage as such. So what is it that actually what, that actually happens with this one? It's something to do with you know with the Wi-Fi being yeah. abused. So it's called No iOS Zone, and again, somebody's thought up of this wonderful name. Um, it's called a zero-day exploit because it's. It's something that researchers hadn't known about and somebody found the vulnerability and was able to exploit it. Now, luckily for everybody concerned, it was security researchers and they demoed it at a recent RSA conference, which is an annual security conference, say, hey, this happens. So what what happens is that there's a flaw in iOS to do with Wi-Fi and that if the if the, if your if your iOS device, so your telephone or your, your iPad, iPhone, iPad, there's a third thing that Apple have... Um, Anyway, iPod. iPod. Yes. iPad, mm-hmm. iPod, I, yeah. iPhone. Just anything with an I. And anything soon I watch. Exactly. <laughs> if, you, if, uh, if your iOS device comes into range of a, um, essentially a malicious Wi-Fi access point, you don't even have to try to connect onto it. The, um, what can happen is the malicious access point can send out malformed security certificates to devices and the device will read it and try to, just because it needs to know what access points are around, and that's enough to cause your iOS device to uh, crash and reboot. I'm having this kind of flashback to the last century and the ping of death, which Apple machines were really uh, were susceptible to. It sounds like a new ping of death for, for yeah. iDevices. <laughs> but it's the, uh, the Wi-Fi ping of death. Yeah. Yes, indeed. So um, there's not much more information out there about it because obviously uh, everyone's trying to keep it quiet so that nobody actually does implement it in, in the real world. And uh, the discoveries are cur- discoverers are currently working with Apple to uh, try and fix it. Well, at least they're doing something about it. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the things that's interesting about security issues. There's a kind of race between, you know, when the uh, vulnerability is discovered and how quickly, you know, exploits are made available to exploit that vulnerability. And that's why zero days are so difficult because, you know, it's the same, it, the da- it's released and enough information is available to start exploiting it straight mm. away. But um, it, I don't know if I, maybe I'm being a little bit um, naive on this one, but I think it sounds like you've got to have a kind of a lot of stuff in place to really be able to exploit this. You have to be in control of the wireless um, access point that's you know to, and and you know modify it to start being malicious. But, but I, I think, suppose because uh, they're so mobile themselves now, mm. anyone can bring one anywhere exactly. into a you know a crowded area. It could cause havoc. Mm. Yeah. So uh, I expect that Apple will be sort of out there with an iOS patch shortly that will fix it. Updates all round. Hello. More, and more updates. Yeah. Oh, the ISPs must love it, especially the ones that um, have got very small data quotas. <laughs> Especially if you have multiple iOS devices in your house. And isn't there a thing that some of the ISPs actually don't push the updates through because it causes so much... so much traffic to their support calls and stuff. People go, "Oh, my thing's changed, and I don't know why." <laughs> so they don't they don't put through the updates through. But surely with security ones, they would. Security ones, they would, and and that's where there's a huge difference between the Apple iOS model and the Google Android model, in that Google relies on both the manufacturer and the telco to push through an update. Whereas Apple owns Apple the... owns it and mm-hmm. sort of. You use iTunes and you download it, and boom, you have it whenever you want it. It's mm. one of those things that you don't even think about. You just tend to just push the button and download. You don't even t- pay attention to why. Yes, that's right. Yes. You do not which read is, the fine print. Which is a danger in itself, exactly. isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> mm. Mobile-geddon. Is it that, though, really? Well, no, but it makes a nice headline, doesn't it? <laughs> it's, it's, it's hyperdrive, hyperdrama, really. But this is... Um, 
This is around Google changing its super secret algorithm on how it ranks pages on the web. So people Mm -hmm. who do web development and people who have websites are very conscious of their Google page rank and work really hard to make sure that their, their, uh, their ranking is good and high. Well, Google have just changed the rules again and they do this periodically. And this time they've said, if your website is not mobile friendly... We will be um, pushing it down the rankings in favour of sites that are mobile friendly. Though it's only just for pages. So if your page isn't actually to its level, there are certain things that you need to do to put in place so that the page is actually working in a mobile way. So it doesn't apply to desktop websites. It's more about the mobile side of it. So if I'm looking at a website on a mobile and it's not displaying the way it should, then that's where you can have that issue there. Oh, so it doesn't apply to all websites, only Just those that are trying to be mobile? or No, it's, no? It, 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 it applies to the device that you're using to access Correct. the website. So if you're using a, a telephone, then it will implement this ranking. And it won't do it for the whole website, it will do it for the page Pages. that, you, try, that mm. you are trying to see through the, through the Google search engine. So, for instance, you um, did a search on Joy and Technogaze and you got the Technogaze podcast page. If the Technogaze podcast page wasn't mobile compliant, and we'll talk about what that means in, in a minute, then that perhaps will be ranked lower down than somebody else's link to Joy and Technogaze, which won't exist. So that doesn't really <laughs> matter, does it? So, and, and they'll filter it that way. But if you're, access, if you're doing the same query from either a tablet or a desktop, then it makes no difference. So there's, there are a few things that you, you know, consider putting in place, such as things like text needs to be readable. So if you're on a mobile and you're having to scroll up to see something, then that's considered not mobile friendly. Um, and things like buttons. So buttons are done in a way that, you know, you can actually use your thumb or your finger to click on it. Yes, rather than sort of pressing sort of the going, wrong button. Um, you're pressing yeah. it <laughs> quite a few times for it to work. So, so things like that and also flash as well. There's still a lot of flash sites out there as well. I think the terminology they use is it says it avoids software not common in the mobile environment like Flash. So that gives them the ability to filter out different things. Um, the ability to or the need to scroll horizontally is mm-hmm. also a, a no-no. So if you do need to scroll sideways, then you're not mobile friendly. And um, there is a website, if anybody's interested, uh, out of google.com that uh, webmasters can use under the webmasters tools, and it's called Mobile Friendly, where you can actually check individual pages of your website. So again, it only ranks the pages um, that are trying to be retrieved. So if you have 100 pages and only one turns up on, let's say, a search engine for whatever reason, then you only need to make that one the mobile friendly one to make sure that your ranking doesn't change um, with that. Well, it's one of those things too that it's probably a, a good idea to start looking at your website and seeing how you can effectively make it mobile friendly because that's where it's all going anyway. Yeah. Um, and just taking that sort of care with with making sure that your site does work on, on other devices. So if you aren't sort of doing that at the moment, it's probably one of those things to consider. Yeah, and putting my Drupal hat on, it's certainly <laughs> something that's been big in the Drupal world and the new mm. version of Drupal that's coming out. Supporting mobile year, devices. Will be mobile friendly right. out of the box. Yeah. yeah right? Which will make, um, you know, the people who are responsible for publishing those websites using that technology, a lot their easier. life a lot easier, yeah. Yeah, rather than doing something special. Well, it's, it's, it's been an evolution probably over the past probably three, three, three to four years, I guess, um, mm-hmm. that more and more um, responsive or mobile responsive technologies and 
web and adaptive um, responsive have have come into the you know into the field and it's kind of only just maturing so it, you know I think it's probably timely like you say it's a good thing for people to be to be mm, thinking about this and if Google is going to force people's hands a little faster than perhaps they would have then hey that's not such a bad thing no everyone's going to win in that situation it's a quarter past five this is technogaze technogaze Last week was National Youth Week, and um, that's the largest celebration of youth in Australia with thousands of young people aged 12 to 25 participating. In the studio, we have VCE student Rune with us to talk about National Youth Week as well as technology. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Tell us a little bit about how you became involved with National Youth Week. Um, Well, I'm a member of the GASP Action Team, and we decided to plan... Actually, it might have been decided before I even joined for a free hugs day on Tuesday up in Geelong. A free hugs day? Yeah. And we had like these smoothie bikes and, you know, just gave out hugs trying to show people that we weren't really so scary. Right. <laughs> yeah. That would, have been, that would have been interesting and fun. Oh, yeah. It sort of, you know, started out a bit awkward because no one really knew how to approach strangers and be like, yes. you want a hug? You want a high five? Yeah. And then, you know, got a lot more comfortable towards the end of it. As you're getting into it. Yeah. How mm. many people were involved in that room? Um, we had the BIAC group, which was another one of the groups like GASP. And then we had most of the GASP people. And I think there might have been a couple of volunteers. There's like over 20 of us. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, And we were handing out free packets to sort of show people, you know. And there were like headphones and drink bowls and those and anti-bullying pamphlets. So, so what, are, what other kinds of activities were happening in, in National Youth Week? I'm not really too sure. I only knew the ones I was involved in. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So that leads to the other question. How, how did you actually start or get involved? Um, well, I joined GASP last school holidays towards the beginning of the year. And I thought, you yeah, know, this was a good idea. And then they started an action team and it just sort of progressed. And is GASP something that's inside the school that you're attending, or is it sort of a broader... It's outside. It's outside. So it's a type of youth movement? Yeah. Right. And do you have regular functions? Yeah, we meet up on Tuesdays Mm -hmm. and just talk. And we have guest speakers sometimes. It's all pretty relaxed. And, um, you know, one of the things when I was reading your bio, you were talking about that, um, you know, youth as as a group tend not to be noticed or their voice not listened to. Tell us a little bit about your feelings in that area. Well, whenever I've tried speaking to adults about adult conversations that apparently we shouldn't really be discussing or know too much about this, sort of like, you're too young for this. Just calm down, just wait a couple more years, like 20 more years. Mm -hmm. That's pretty condescending. Yeah, it's a little (laughs) annoying. So how do you go around that to make it a bit more positive um, out out of that sort of... If, if people are sort of saying that to you, what would you sort of say? I just sort of say, you know, if I shouldn't be part of this conversation, why are you having it in front of me? And just, like, give them my two cents on it. Even if they ignore me, at least I've said a piece on it. Perfect. And do you think technology is allowing sort of youth as a, as a group to be able to, I guess, express themselves more than what would have been in the past? Definitely. I mean, we have all this social media, and even if, you know, we don't do the best with it, Yes. At least we have the opportunities to do something with it. Mm-hmm. And I might evolve to be something way more positive in the future. And, and I guess when you're um, reading something online, you don't know whether it's coming from somebody that's, you know, a teenager or somebody that's 70 years old. It's just an opinion and you either like it and respect it or you don't like it or, and so on. Yeah, exactly. It's just 
a person's opinion. It doesn't matter their age. It doesn't matter the education they've had mm-hmm. or may not have had. It doesn't matter where they're from in life. It's someone's opinion on any topic. Right. You, um, you also said uh, in your bio that you're, um, when you finish VCE that you're currently studying, that you're looking to uh, study either in the robotics or the nanotechnology fields. Yeah. Sounds exciting. Why? What, what interests you about that? I'm a major sci-fi geek, mm-hmm. and it's just sort of something that always struck me as pretty awesome. And then, like, you'd see these androids in Star Trek, <laughs> and they just look so realistic and have amazing AIs, and it's like, I want that to be today. So what kind of areas of robotics have you been involved in or, or looking at so far? Um, not really involved in anything, because my school doesn't actually have a robotics program. We're looking in AI right now mm-hmm. for IT, so that's similar to... But I was just sort of thinking, you know, get the basics and then specialise on it. Sure. It's a while since I've looked at AI. What can you tell me about where that's at? Um, well, we have pattern recognition AI right now. So there's this program where you can play rock, paper, scissors with a learning AI. And it's like, oh, your last couple of moves have been rock, rock, rock. Well, all <laughs> these other players, when they've done rock, 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 choose scissors next. So I'm going to use paper, no rock. <laughs> <laughs> so it it uses it, it basically uses pattern recognition ac- across a whole bunch of different users and their responses to then try to predict what you're going to do next and yeah. and and give you an option based on that prediction. Yeah, and it's really interesting because two different types of AI, one where it learns from you directly, but then there's the also the one that's using all these other players that it's already been up against. So it's like thousands of people used Rock Next and then does its move on that. And then you're also helping it learn more with the patterns just by playing this game of Rock, Paper, Scissors. That's pretty cool. I wanted to ask you, have you seen the latest film Chappie? No. no. Okay, so I just wanted to, I guess, Chappie is all about, I guess, um, consciousness. So having the ability for a robot to actually think on its own. How do you feel about that sort of technology if it was to ever come about? I think that was pretty awesome. Like, I'd want to talk to it, but then it'd be like the Turing game and it would just, the imitation game. So mm. when something gets as close to being, you know, the consciousness of human, it's just, how do we define life then? And then it's like the whole meaning of life thing. And that's it does raise a whole bunch of questions. And one of the things I find, and this is in terms of um, generational, is that artificial intelligence is um, something that I think people who are probably older, you know, maybe some of our age and not your age, are going to be scared about. How, how do you think that uh, younger people feel about the possibility of having artificial intelligence where you've got essentially machines thinking for themselves and acting autonomously? Well, it would be like a human making decisions as mm-hmm. well. It might have a bit more power if you think, you know, in pop culture that's GLaDOS and HAL 9000. But with HAL 9000, it was more trying to not die. Well, GLaDOS was like experiment on all humans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so really when it comes to an AI thinking as a human but having just different possibilities based on the power it has has it's all up to it it'd be like if a human like if you have one button and you can destroy the entire planet with that button right. and get whatever you want yep it would it's, just change per person right okay so it's, it's no difference from that perspective i guess the difference is it's something new and it's it's like you said it's a new it's a new life form it's a new um, sentient being 
And it's interesting the way sci-fi has presented these kinds of concepts to us over the years, right? Sometimes they are very, they're benevolent, they're friendly AIs that are there to help us. And then we have the kind of, you know, horror story type AIs that are going to take over the world and kill us and become. But, you know, the reality is probably going to be somewhere in between. And if we're still writing the programs that start this, then, you know, we only have ourselves to blame for the way it turns out, right? Yeah, it's like sort of when people say you learn from your parents when you're writing an AI, you're sort of its parent or her parents or mm. their parents. It's a good way of saying it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do like that analogy. Yeah, mm. it's a good one. Yeah. Um, you're also inter- interested in nanotechnology. Tell us a bit about that. Oh, that's sort of also going back to you know being a major sci-fi geek and it's just completely tiny machines. Well, like it makes me think any. of like the Borg stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> That's actually kind of awesome. But there are just all these different possibilities for it. Like, you could use it in place of vaccines. I would even replace someone's immune system with it if we can get advanced enough. So we might be able to cure cancer before it even happens if we've got these little robots in us that detect the signs that we might not even notice. So speak, speaking of that, do you have sort of an idea as to what you want to use technology for? Improving just improving on people improving on the technology we already have just like keep evolving mm-hmm. as a sort of next stage of human evolution to sort of augment yeah. technology whether it's robotics or making use of ai or whether or not it's introducing you know nanotech for medical uses it's yeah. this kind of next step is where you're where you're thinking it's most interesting yeah i cool. sort of want sci-fi is like the really awesome one where everything good happens like diseases are all gone and stuff i kind of want that future i like that idea yeah. yeah i was going to ask you mentioned in your bio that you're looking at possibly writing a book and taking a year off tell us a little bit more about that <laughs> well i was thinking you know, take a couple years off maybe a gap year or so and just sort of backpack and travel see where i end up and if i get inspired i'll write something but i'm sort of trying to plan out a book right now but they always end up being like dystopian sort of <laughs> books it's um it must be hard trying to do that and study at the same time yeah it's sort of like oh i really want to write down 500 words it doesn't right. sound like a lot but then it's like i've got all this chemistry homework and all this it homework and this physics stuff i need to do and it's sort of piles it on (laughs) (laughs) and uh the book is more appealing the book is definitely more appealing actually that's one that's one thing that hasn't changed in many many years because i remember when i was doing sort of vc only it wasn't vc back then i used to do things like strip wallpaper off my bedroom wall because it was more appealing than studying (laughs) so uh, some things really really do not change in the in the last i guess 20 to 30 years there's been a huge change in technology in terms of communication and you know everyone's got smartphones and you know I, i i know that uh, growing up, my parents would talk about um, the story with Dick Tracy and having the the, the, the watch phone and um, being able to talk on that, and that's all here today. What do you think the future is going to look like in thirty or forty years' time when uh, you know when all these advances have uh, taken place? I think either the world's completely going to crash and we're going to go back to a hundred years before, or it's just going to keep going and going, and all that unrealistic sci-fi stuff that breaks the laws of physics will happen like cybernetic implants like right in your ear so you don't even need to answer a phone that sounds that perfect would, that would probably help me <laughs> i think it would help a lot of people wouldn't i it? think i'd have mine perpetually on the engaged signal <laughs> <laughs> do not disturb do not disturb <laughs> hey i've got one more question for you Rune. um we were we, we had a few different um topics and stuff up 
uh, and one which is that they're saying that um, young younger people today just aren't watching TV. Is that true? We're watching TV in a different way. In a different That's way. That's what we thought. Yeah, like Netflix or like streaming Netflix. online. It's still TV, but without like the ad breaks and mm. such. And uh, does like 4K, high definition television, is that of interest or you don't really care what the resolution's like and what the performance is like? I think I'd prefer a really good TV show mm-hmm. over something that works amazingly well. Like if I can have both, that'd be amazing. Yep. But if I could only choose one, I'd choose... Better content rather yeah. than more technology. Yeah. 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 Interesting, uh, the divergence between, uh, you know, what different generations, how they consume media. It's uh, 28 minutes past five o'clock. Techno Giz. It is exactly half past five and you're listening to Techno Gaze with Michael, Nicole, Donna and our special guest Rune. And Rune, um, I'd just like to say thank you very much for having chat to, with us before and uh, please stay on for the rest of the show. Sure. So, in other tech news, specifically in uh, GLBTIQ tech news and... Um, the Marvel Comics is um, following through with their desire to uh, put more diversity amongst its characters. And as part of that, somebody is coming out of the closet. That would be Iceman. Yes. And um, there were some leaks earlier on, well, I think it was early last week, of um, some panels from the uh, all-new X-Men number 40 comic, but that was confirmed this week when the comic was actually published. And um, in, in a bit of a, I guess, a, not convoluted, uh, a little bit of a complex storyline, Bobby Drake um, from the past is transported to the future along with the original X-Men to help solve a crisis. And during, the sh- during this, we find out that um, Iceman is, in fact, gay. So uh, that's good. I guess there's a 50 50, isn't there? You know, some people like it, some people don't. Yes, and I, and I think part of the um, discussion was that it is the Bobby from the, the past that's come out as gay, mm-hmm. the younger Bobby, and not the present day Bobby who's been around since 1963, which isn't so long so ago, is it really? And they're basically saying that shouldn't he have come out? Already, <laughs> that's what they well, say. <laughs> and but well, it sounds like a you know a, the the time the time travel bit kind of complicates this unnecessarily exactly. because it brings both the old and the new characters right. together. Yes, it does. But to answer your you know shouldn't you have come out already? Well, you know people take their time and exactly. people do it when they're ready. So you know what's wrong with this? But um, Iceman's not the only comic character to have come out. No, it's also the, Catwoman. Yes, she came out as bisexual, bisexual mm-hmm. a while ago. Uh, this year. This year, okay. Officially. Mm-hmm. Uh, Genevieve Valentine, the um, the writer who's now kind of in charge of, of, of Catwoman for, for DC Comics, um, confirmed rather than necessarily it was a, a big reveal. There was always a sort of suspicion or some of the commentary was saying flirting with the idea that, that Catwoman was bisexual. But um, I think the thing here is that she's confirming that this is the case and it's not just a kind of headline-grabbing dramatic kiss but, um, you know, a solid storyline involving girlfriend and some complexities which should uh, reveal themselves over the coming uh, coming releases. Mm-hmm. So at least, you know, the world of comics are getting a bit more reflective of the general nature of society. Yay for representation. Right. Yes. A bit more because, reality. Because we are all super beings, aren't we? At least I, in the I, studio. I feel I am a super being. <laughs> Whether someone agrees or not. 
Uh, I think you're a super being, Nicole. <laughs> I won't ask about whether whether or not you wear your underpants on the outside, like all superheroes. But you know, we're on radio, so no one needs to know. It's true. <laughs> but photos will be up on Facebook later on. <laughs> um, <laughs> Scary thought. In the UK, British food writer, blogger, and celebrated food activist Chuck Munro has left Twitter after receiving homophobic abuse. She asked her fans not to respond to the attacks on her behalf, and uh, these attacks started after she recently praised the Green Party leader. Munro herself is a Labour Party member. Mm. A, uh, so it's sad that there's you know such hate um, being directed against an individual through Twitter like this. And this is not that long after I think another British kind of food writer person, Sue Perkins, also kind yes. of yes. went sort of quit quit Twitter for for similar reasons. And um, you know it, it kind of it's in this this um, um, what's that word I'm looking for? It's this atmosphere of of um, abuse and hatred and stuff going on on Twitter, and it's been going on for a while. So. You know, it's interesting that there are these now people are really sort of standing up and saying, you know, I've had enough. I'm just out of here. And and that sort of led to Twitter finally doing something. Some people saying too little, too late. Yes. They, you know, Twitter Twitter have come to the party. But And part of the reason why I think there is this um, unchecked abuse is that it's so easy to get up there and say something. Behind it, something. Behind something. Yeah, that's right. You, yeah. You're hiding behind your real identity. That's and right. it's Whereas if you had to stand up in the middle of a you room wouldn't. and shout <laughs> it or whatever, or you you just wouldn't do it. The um, yeah, tw- Twitter's um, gone through, and actually, in fact, Twitter's um, lawyers—one of their top lawyers—has even admitted that they've been inexcusably slow in tackling abusers, and so they've recently introduced a range of upgrades to its system to uh, cut down on trolling and harassment. And they're using a range of tools as well that they normally only celebrities have access to, so they're starting to provide um, other solutions where you can actually block and, and do other various things as well so that you're not having this type of abuse. Yeah, so I, I didn't realise this, but celebrities and those people who had... Um, verified blue verified, tick. Verified blue the tick, tick. The blue tick. Um, get access to something called a quality filter. Yes. And that identifies troublemakers. So now, as you said, instead of just being the purview of the celebrities, everybody who's on Twitter will be able to take advantage of this. Although I think it's probably something that happens automatically. I just yeah. Look, I mean, I think I'm quite conflicted about this. I think Twitter really stood um, stood up in its early days to say we, we're really big supporters of free speech. We're really big supporters of people being able to be themselves and say anything. Um, and then we've got the flip side of, you know, saying anything means saying horrible things and that's actually really hurtful and, and, and unpleasant and not a good thing. But now we're getting to this point where we're sort of filtering what is acceptable and what isn't acceptable and it raises lots of really kind of important questions about you know the, the role of technology in mediating all of our communications and who gets to say what is um, what is acceptable and what isn't and when we're talking about um, personal you know vitriol and vindictive behavior between between real human beings is one thing but what about when it starts being used to censor whole kind of areas of speech that perhaps of people who don't normally get to have a voice um, are from from parts of the world that perhaps don't have access to things you know I think there's some really gnarly problems in here and one of the things that Twitter has done is introduced this idea of um, shadow blocking so you know if you if you exhibit a certain pattern of um, of discourse on Twitter then you're likely to get blocked um, and then you're going to have to play certain you know engage in certain behaviors to get unblocked so it's like 12 or 24 hour block that you receive yeah but then the 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 problem with that as well is that does the actual person learn from that is right. it just blocking and then, okay, I'll just create another account and continue 
but there is but okay that's that's one of the actions another action is that they can um, insist that you verify your account via a phone number so that way you actually have to identify yourself and yes you can get burner phone numbers and, and things like that but it's just a level of degree of yeah. difficulty to do that um, and I think the other thing that you can do is uh, they can obviously make you remove offensive posts before they let yes. you back on mm-hmm. um, and they also may that one confuse me why wouldn't Twitter just delete it I don't know. Maybe it's better Maybe. for the person themselves to take it down. Yeah, okay. Maybe so that, that so the person that actually person? does it. Personal responsibility. Yeah, yeah. exactly, rather than Twitter. Yeah, and they can also apparently f- um, force users to uh, tweet an apology or to uh, retype Twitter's anti-abuse policies. <laughs> I think that, that feels like, a joke. That feels yeah, like a, a little joke. bit of a schoolyard. Yeah. and, that, and You that have was, detention. You must write all that in. And that, and that was the, um, the tone of an article that I read in the Register about this, that it was very much, you know, this is like becoming... Uh, school principal taking to the office and stuff like that, which I just thought was a little bit unfair. One of the other things that I thought was good is that previously um, promoting violence or yeah, or threatening somebody with violence it was unacceptable, and this still stands, but also promoting violence against somebody else. So, you know, the, it's almost like the crowd egging somebody else on to, you know, mm. go ahead and do whatever you're going to do. That's also banned. Yeah. Which, yeah. Is, which is good. But yes, Donna, you, you make a valid point in that where's the start, where's the stop? But is it any different from every other um, walk of life? No, really? in, in that respect it's not at all. And that's what I, I find interesting is that, is that there's actually a shift underway. I actually think it's great. Um, but there's been, in the past, Twitter has been aggressively... Um, pro-free speech at the expense of hurt feelings, you know, in, I'm using air quotes here, but the reality is that those hurt feelings are extremely hurtful and we've now seen the kind of the worst extent of cyberbullying where yes. people are actually committing suicide because of these kinds of things, um, you know, and, and Twitter is now acknowledging that, that it's, you know, it's a really serious serious problem and it's not just about you know oh, well people should have the right to say whatever they want to say well actually maybe they also need to take responsibility for Correct. what's saying those things indeed i've got a question for rune um how uh, are you aware of technology being used either facebook or twitter or something like that in terms of uh, bullying um young people oh definitely i've been bullied through it before and i've done some actions that may count as bullying which mm-hmm. there was always stuff going on in the background of it so with this, it's sort of like, are we seeing the whole story here? Like, are we just seeing people attacking other people for no apparent reason? Or is there stuff going on behind the scenes? Or just people being offensive for the sake of being offensive? But then people might also truly believe this, and that's when free speech sort of becomes a bit blurred. Like, when do we start censoring out all these people whose actual opinions are, you know, completely against this, even though people are using that reason as a hate reason. Does that make sense? No, definitely. It does def- does make sense. And sometimes you, you do see people actually going on to sort of a rant and they don't really know about what it, what's actually going on, but they feel compelled to be a part of it. And it becomes like a group sort of bullying aspect rather than a cause or a belief or or other sort of aspects. Yeah. So, so I think, you know, just drawing that line in the sand, like what is acceptable and what isn't acceptable. And, another, uh, you know, one of the, I, I think, dangers with cyberbullying is that it's a very private thing because if you are, you know, this, if you're the object of the bullying, you're reading it 
at home, at work, or wherever it is, but it's just you and, and the device that you're using to read. Whereas if it's uh, traditional one-on-one bullying, the chances are it's out maybe school play field or it's somewhere else, there may be witnesses and so on. So, and depending on the person that's being bullied, they may not feel that they have got the ability to ask for help from family, friends, or whatever the case may be. Definitely. I've had this happen to me where I was talking to someone over Facebook. We go into this really heated argument and then I felt that I was alone. So I wrote something on their Facebook page saying, this person is doing these things to me. I'm doing these things back. Can someone help me? Mm. Someone took that as being aggressive and go like an entire year to attack me on Facebook. And I just ended in tears because I just want some help. Yeah, that's... That's that's the thing. Maybe there isn't... There needs to be some sort of... um, system where it helps helps young people to actually know how to you know how to stop that so rather than actually writing maybe a message like what would you do in that sort of circumstance and not just young people i've just a friend of mine was recently involved in some fairly nasty um nasty stuff happening on facebook and you know i I think that the point of you know how do you how do you find a good way of reaching out and asking for help how do you how do we do how do we deal better with conflict and and have mediation processes in place so that we don't end up you know with everybody coming down on us and you know feeling attacked and isolated because that's not that's not helping anyone, really. Yeah. Rune, during your school studies, do you cover anything about how people should react when they see something like that online? No, we just talk about if you're being bullied, ask for help. Right, okay. If you see someone being bullied, go to a parent or a teacher. Mm-hmm. But nothing, nothing that says, you know, as a collective year, don't jump in and sort of all harass this one person for whatever reason, that there are other ways of getting your message across. Yeah. That doesn't happen? Okay. In my case, I didn't think the message was aggressive. It mm. may have been by the way people were reacting, but it was more just people yelling nonsense. Yeah. And they weren't even bothering asking questions. They were just sort of attacking mm-hmm. me. Right. And it was just... And that's the thing, you know, people have different interpretations. So that, that also can be the problem too. And that's another issue with the internet because there's no tone of voice, there's no body language, you just see words. Correct. And then those words are up to interpretation and all this stuff happens. Indeed. It took me a long time to get over reading ha-ha and not taking it personally like somebody was laughing at me and just thinking, oh, well, somebody's just laughing. Because that's, you know, I would have used ha-ha as a bit of a, you know, a bit of a dig. Yes. Um, Maybe when we all have, I don't know, Voicemail? No, we have voicemail. Record, <laughs> recorded messages, you can see facial expression. Uh, <laughs> life will be easier. You are listening to Techno Gaze at 14 minutes to 6. Uh, I am Michael. We have Nicole, Donna and Rune in the studio. And coming across the telephone lines, we have Jason. If I press the right buttons, Jason, are you there? I hope so. How are you? You are indeed. I am very well. How are you? I'm, I'm, I'm great. We actually... We just had a freak hailstorm move through Sydney. It's amazing. Oh, really? Oh, you you yeah, guys have had a lot of bad weather recently. We have. Uh, I actually went out to the park earlier and flew a drone around and nearly got sunburned, and now there's hail. Uh, there's, there's literally ice on my garden. Did you say fly a drone? Did I, I, hear I, flew a, I did fly a drone earlier. I had a, uh, I had a, a couple of uh, review units. <laughs> You, uh, it it's fun. but that's not what I'm here for, really, is it? The drones oh, are cool, damn. aren't they? <laughs> In, indeed, drones are very, very cool. I was just going to say that Sydney sounded like Melbourne with your weather changes, but you are here because you've got some new telephones. I do, or smartphones, I, uh, I, I should say. 
Uh, oh, look, I think they're still telephones, aren't they? I don't know. Do um, you ever use it as a telephone or often as a telephone? I, I'm using it as a telephone right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Your phone, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> you, are, you are speaking to me on my smartphone. Which one? Uh, yeah. Uh, so I have a Galaxy S6 in my hand and I have a Galaxy S6 Edge on the desk in front of me. Which which one would you like to, I'd like to hear about? First? The Edge. The Edge. Everyone wants to hear about the Edge. It's kind of... It's kind of freaky. It's it's Samsung. It's Samsung being out there and just going, yeah, look, we can build this and we're going to do it. Um, it's if you haven't seen it, um, which you know they've been running a lot of ads for it. Uh, the left and right edges of the phone they sort of slope off and the screen continues around these slopes down to the uh, down to the side. And so um, you can run your hand sort of up the edge and across the screen and then down the other edge, left to right. And, and, they, and they introduced that with the Note last year, didn't they? They did. There'd been a lot of... Apparently they, apparently they showed some kind of um, prototype of the technology a couple of years ago and then people have been waiting for it ever since. Um, when they put it on the Note, um, everyone sort of went, yeah, great, oh, that costs $300 extra. <laughs> uh, I don't really want that. Um, so for the Galaxy S6, it's an extra $150 to get the edge displays on both sides. So the price of that technology is coming down. But I do think that they haven't really made the case for why you need edge displays. Yeah, um, what is the benefit? I, I can imagine if you have a bookshelf full of phones stacked on their side, like a traditional book, then you could have a look at these, you know, the spine of it and see what... Well, what if you get a message coming through and oh, it's yeah. on your desk and you're in a yeah. meeting... Oh, that's good. Do they do that? Do they actually put the message on there? I'm pretty sure so it does. I think, I, think, I think with that, you're better served with an Android Wear watch. But I, and I know we're going to talk about that. <laughs> um, there's... So the, the thing is that what they've, what they've done is they've said, right, if you've got your phone face down on the desk during a meeting and you receive a call, um, you can assign colours to your contacts and then you'll see the colour sort of shine out to the side of the phone. Um, to me, that's not really worth you know, it's not really worth the premium. There are other there are other possible uses for the edge display, but um, none of them have really none of them have really caught fire. But that's uh, I mean, so that that that's the edge anyway. There's. There's other things to talk about with the S6 and the S6 Edge. My preference is, as you can probably tell, for just the plain Galaxy S6. But um, that, the phone, has, they've changed their design language uh, this year. They haven't really changed the way the phone looks, but um, they've constructed it out of glass and metal. Where um, you know, previously we used to give Samsung a lot of uh, a lot of uh, mm, yeah, <laughs> we used to make Our fun time? of them for having plastic phones. Yeah. But that also means that you've lost the ability to pull out the battery, doesn't it? Yeah, so this is true. They've uh, they've gone to a sealed-in battery this year, and they've also forsaken the SD card, which um, they clung to for a really long time as selling points for the S4 and the S5. Um, to make up for the lack of SD card, there's uh, the phones available in 64 and 128 gig versions, but the battery is a little bit a little bit more um, it's a little bit more difficult to get around because the phone doesn't have it doesn't have great battery life, but uh, the phone does have quick charging technology and it's got wireless charging built in. So if you're sitting at your desk most of the day, you can leave your phone on a charging pad and when you leave the office, you'll have 100% charge. And is that using the Qi standard? Um, so there's actually a couple of standards around and the S6 actually supports 
I'm not sure if it's two or three of them, but Qi is definitely one of them. So you can go out and buy one of these cheap Qi chargers that you see on, online on certain sites. Um, or you can buy Samsung's own one, um, which uh, they'll, they'll quite happily sell you one from their stores. I do like the idea of, you know, when you go to bed, you don't have to remember to put, you know, to plug your phone into the charger. You just put it by your bedside table, and if you've got a charging mat there, then it will just charge. That's true. I always, great. every time I put my phone down, I always forget to charge it. Yeah. So the thing that the thing that really sells the cam sells the phone for me, and I just gave it away. The thing that really sells the phone for me is the camera. Um, I, I, a lot of uh, Michael, you've had Android phones. You you know that sometimes the camera can be a little bit of an Achilles heel for an Android phone. Yes, indeed. And this is, I think, the first time we've ever seen a phone, an Android phone that actually has a camera that will actually go toe to toe with the iPhone. And uh, as you believe, some commentators knock it out of the park. Um, I've, I've, I've been playing with it for a little while now as I, I got to play with one at the launch event and the, yep. the photos of this takes, they're utterly amazing. It's got a 16 megapixel camera, it's got optical image stabilization, which is fantastic for um, you know, eliminating a little bit of shake and a little bit of blur. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, a, it's an f1.8 um, aperture on it. And so there's great low light performance. I've taken photos of my cat, because that's what I do, in almost darkness. And you can see individual hairs and, you know, you can see reflections in his eyeballs and stuff. It's, it's really quite amazing. Has this cat not any privacy? Uh, not really, no. <laughs> if, if you're a cat that's owned by me, you're going to be all over the internet. And also because I just moved into an apartment where um, a lot of people have puppies, all of the neighbours' puppies are also all over my Instagram. Ah. I was, gonna, I was actually going to ask about the, the glass or the gorilla glass that's, that surrounds it. There's a lot of people that are afraid to actually use the phone due to the fact that if they drop it, it will break on either side. So, ha- ha- well, yeah, you could you could get two breakages for one. Um, look, I don't think it's so, I don't think it's so bad. I know there are people who do. It is Gorilla Glass four, and everyone everyone wants to sort of look back to the iPhone four when everyone had uh, a glass front and a glass back on iPhones, and they they smashed very easily. I will just say, like Gorilla Glass four is sort of like it's three to four years of uh, evolution over what we last saw on, say, the iPhone 4 and on the Nexus 4 in the uh, in Android land. I think I think it's probably going to be okay. I think, like, if you, if you drop a phone, you are going to smash glass on one side or the other. Um, but, you know, there are ways to mitigate it. You can put it in a protective case. Um, I have a very light gel case on mine because I don't really want to hide the look of the phone, but <laughs> I, I, I think it's okay. There's... Um, opinion is sort of split on whether or not it's really, really slippery, or uh, or if you know if if you can really just grip it in your hand quite nicely. How big is the uh, screen itself? Um, it is a five point two inch screen, I believe, and it's running uh, QHD, so it's uh, super, super high high resolution, uh, and it's a super AMOLED screen, so it's it's up to the standards that we've seen from Samsung's last couple of flagship phones. They've, They've had really, really great colour reproduction. They pop really well, and uh, the phone gets really bright. So it's somewhere size-wise between the iPhone 6 and the iPhone 6 Plus. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's a little bit. It's probably a little bit closer to an iPhone 6 than a 6 Plus, but um, it is still pretty. It's still pretty large, being a 5.2-inch screen, and Samsung adds a couple of adds a little bit of bezel above and below the screen. Um, there's a fingerprint scanner on the front, which 
finally delivers on the promise of actually being a proper fingerprint scanner, unlike the Galaxy S5. Right. Um, and so, yeah, so there's space where they've sort of put their logos and the earpieces and buttons mm-hmm. on the phone. Sounds good. Now, we're running out of time rapidly, but very quickly, we are, aren't we? tell I, us I, about... I talk a lot. <laughs> That's okay. It's all interesting. Tell us a little bit about the changes to Android Wear. So Android Wear is getting an update. Uh, funnily enough, the week that Apple launches a watch, Android Wear gets, uh, gets an update coming out. Um, do you think that's a coincidence? Do, <laughs> um, maybe. I don't know. I actually think so. It, I actually think it's more to do with the fact that LG is launching a new uh, watch, the LG uh, Watch Urbane, in the next couple of days. Uh, and so this software update is going to add Wi-Fi support to Android mm. Wear, which... Most Android Wear watches out there already have Wi-Fi support built into their chipset, but it's just not used by Android Wear. So what will happen is you'll be able to sit in a completely different room to your phone, so you're out of Bluetooth range, but your notifications will still be delivered to you over the internet. Right. And Um, what about... I was going to say, what about the the fact that the battery life aspect, it goes black and white, so it actually conserves the power? Well, so that's that's a new feature called Always on Display. And I've actually thought quite a lot when I've been... uh, So I, I ride around Sydney, and sometimes I use... Uh, Google Maps navigation, and sometimes I use it on my watch. But what I find frustrating is that when I'm driving, riding along, uh, and I need directions, and I need to check the directions, the navigation card has sort of disappeared, and so I need to I need to look at my watch while I'm while I'm riding along. So with this, the navigation screen will stay on, but when I'm not looking at it, it'll turn black and white to conserve battery. And then when I do the uh, the gesture to look at the watch again, then it'll turn into full color and sort of wake up. But I, I won't have to search for that card again. Okay, that sounds really good. We've run out of time, unfortunately. Uh, you'll have to come down to the studio next time you're in Melbourne and uh, give us a bit more detail on that. Thank you, Jason. No worries. Thanks for having me, guys. This is Joy 94.9, and you're listening to Technogaze, where, unfortunately, we have run out of time as we usually do. Damn. Yes, it is. Um, I don't know why we run out of time. We know it's for an hour, and we just tend to talk and talk and till the cows come home, which they never do. Plus, we had two great guests, and we wanted to hear more from each of them. Exactly, we did indeed. <laughs> so, once again, Rune, thank you very much for coming thank you, Rune. today. I hope you uh, enjoyed yourself. It was great. Thank you. To Donna and to Nicole, thank you. Thanks, Michael. Thank you, Michael. And um, everybody else, uh, that's that's it. If you missed any part of the show and perhaps you're listening, you know, you're looking to listen to previous episodes, you can do so by browsing joy.org.au slash technogaze. The news at six is next with Byron, followed by Dick, who's mixing up the old and the new in this week's A Touch of Pink. Have a great weekend and we will catch you next week. Bye-bye. Techno Gaze on Joy 94.9. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.